explore growth in China is a good one. It's an intentional one. It's not the end of the world. The, the world can survive a lower Chinese growth rate, but it has to adapt to it. IMF Chief Economist Olivier Blanchard presents a revised forecast for the world economy in this podcast produced by the International Monetary Fund. I'm Bruce Edwards. Twice a year, in the fall and spring, the IMF lays out the state of the world economy in its flagship publication, The World Economic Outlook. The WIO, as it's known, is also updated between the main publications through the WIO update. And the latest one shows that complicated cross-currents have come into play in recent months. Even with the recent drop in oil prices, which the IMF says is good for the economy, global growth projections for this year and next have been revised down to 35 and 3.7% respectively. The WIO reports come together under the general direction of Olivier Blanchard in his role as Director of Research and Chief Economic Counselor. I sat down with Mr. Blanchard to talk about this latest update, which he described as an unusually difficult forecasting exercise. So despite the boost from uh, the falling oil prices, the underlying picture looks worse than it did in the fall with uh, global growth projections being marked down. Why is that? There are two forces going against uh, each other. So there's one good force, which is indeed the the decline uh, in the price of oil. And for oil importers, which are most of the uh, big advanced economies, uh, that's definitely good news. Uh, It's like uh, a check being given to each consumer uh, with the right to spend it. So, So that's good. Uh, and uh, it makes a difference to our forecast. Unfortunately, at the same time, uh, there's uh, bad news, which is uh, a weakness, not everywhere in the world, less so in the US, but uh, in many other places of the world where it looks as if uh, the future is not as bright as we thought. So what what we call uh, potential growth uh, has been revised down. And, you know, although this is a statement about the future, uh, it leads to firms looking at a more mediocre future, cutting investment, and this decrease in investment decreases demand and decreases growth today. So you have these two forces, uh, and it turns out that on net, as best as we can guess, uh, the second force is stronger, which is why, you know, in most countries, not the U.S. again, uh, we have revised uh, our forecast down. Not a whole lot, but down. You've described uh, recently uh, the the falling oil prices as being a a shot in the arm for the global economy. Um, How does that work? And and what about those countries that are highly dependent on oil revenues like Nigeria, Russia? Uh, How do falling oil prices affect their economic outlook? It's not a zero-sum game, uh, but it is clearly bad news for uh, oil exporters. Uh, and there you have to look at each country on its own. So some of the oil exporters are very rich. They have accumulated large reserves. Uh, they can withstand uh, a price of oil at uh, 40 or 50 for a long time. They may have to cut on spending a bit, but 
you know they can do it slowly it's uh, it's tough but not impossible uh, but you have countries uh, which depend very much on the price of oil don't have those reserves uh, have other problems and these countries are going to suffer a lot i mean uh, you know if you take the the case of russia now russia already had problems uh, earlier uh, even before crimea then Crimea came and the sanctions and then the oil and so this is going to be a very tough uh, environment for Russia. Uh, you have countries where everything depends on oil like Nigeria is, is a country which is going to have a, a tough adjustment to make. So yes, uh, it is not good news for everybody and for some uh, it is definitely bad news, yes. The update shows uh, lopsided growth with the United States is the only major economy where growth is better than expected. Um, what differentiates the, the U.S. from the other advanced economies like the Eurozone or, or Japan, for example, that's gone into a recession? So indeed, there is this uh, striking divergence between uh, the U.S., where we're revising up, and uh, Euro and Japan, where we're revising down. Uh, there is a list of explanations. Uh, but clearly, uh, monetary policy has more room in the U.S. There are more constraints on uh, monetary policy at the uh, European Central Bank. Although they have done a lot, but uh, subject to those constraints, uh, the fiscal situation is worse uh, in many European countries than in the U.S. The level of debt is high, so they have to have more fiscal consolidation. The state of banks is better, but Europe started repairing its banks a bit later than the U.S., so there are still problems. Um, the situation of firms in some countries is much worse than in the U.S. In the U.S., the firms are, in general, uh, flush with cash. Uh, but in a number of uh, European countries, uh, firms uh, have uh, interest payments which are nearly as large or as large as cash flows, so they have a hard time. So you have all these elements. Uh, then you have to kind of go country by country, but... But this is, I think, the source of, of the differences. Now, my own belief is that maybe there is a bit more. You know, all these explain, but do they fully explain why the U.S. seems to be doing very well and Europe is, is not doing well? Maybe. Maybe there is a bit more which uh, we don't understand. In the case of Japan, it's different. Uh, Japan has been in a slump for uh, 20 years. Um, and when you've been in a slump for 20 years and things don't work very well, it's very hard to get people to be more optimistic, uh, to get consumers to spend more, to get firms to spend more. Um, so starting the machine again is tough. And in addition, you know, the problem of Japan is that uh, potential growth, so the growth at which they can hope to uh, to grow for a long time, is very, very low, because of, in particular because of the demographics. Um, we think that potential growth in Japan is of the order of 0.5% per year. That's very, very low. China is also experiencing uh, slower growth, according to the update. What does a weaker Chinese economy mean for Asia uh, and for other regions like um, Latin America and Africa, uh, where there's been a lot of Chinese investment in recent years? So I think the first thing to say is that the slowdown in growth in China is a good one. Uh, it's an intentional one. It is largely the decision uh, by the Chinese policymakers to reduce some of the imbalances that they've had. You know, the housing boom, 
followed by housing bust, uh, the size of the shadow banking, the dangers in shadow banking, uh, the desire to move an economy which is mostly based on investment to an economy which it's more growth is more coming from consumption. So the result of all this is lower growth, uh, but we think it's good. Uh, the Chinese government has announced, uh, you know, a number around a growth target around seven percent. Our forecast is six point eight percent, so very close. Uh, <coughs> but this being said, for the other economies, uh, a, a slower growth in China uh, is uh, partially bad news. Um, you know, for Asian countries which are linked. Uh, to China food trade. We think that uh, if China growth is 1% lower, then their own growth mechanically uh, goes down by 0.3%. So it's not nothing. Uh, so they have to do that. The other effect is through uh, commodity prices. You know, China is a, is a very large buyer uh, of commodities. So uh, when China growth slows down, uh, then commodity prices decrease. And we've seen this now for uh, leaving aside oil. We've seen this for the last three years. And when commodity prices go down, uh, Latin American countries suffer because in many countries, growth was partly based on strong commodity exports. Um, so it has all kinds of ripple effects. It's not the end of the world. Uh, the world can survive a lower Chinese uh, growth rate, but it has to adapt to it. So... Why is it that we, we um, tend to track growth so closely? Um, is it all about the uh, economy or, or are there social and geopolitical implications as well? Well, you're asking a, a, a very important question. Uh, well, the first thing to say is uh, growth, or at least growth per person, uh, is, is essential. Uh, it's hard to think of a world in which things get better if there's no growth. But this being said, uh, growth is a uh, growth of GDP uh, is a very limited uh, dimension of what makes us uh, happy, uh, of what, you know, what we call welfare. Uh, so uh, it's clear that uh, when we assess how a country is doing, uh, we have uh, to take into account much more than just the growth rate. We have to look at the distribution of income, for example, which is a, a major theme, and, and rightly so. So inequality is extremely important. Uh, you know, we were talking about the U.S. Uh, U.S. growth is good. Uh, but if we look at how U uh, U.S. growth has been distributed across uh, income levels over the last 20 years, uh, it is extremely worrisome. And so a growth model in which only a small proportion of the population gets most of the increase in production is not a very good model. Uh, now, when I give you quarterly updates, uh, you know, we don't have the kind of information on the evolution of inequality at the same frequency as numbers on investment and consumption. But once in a while, we have to sit down and think harder. And in a number of countries, uh, there are now a, a set of statistics uh, which uh, policymakers look at, which is much wider than just you know what happened to GDP last quarter. That was Olivier Blanchard, chief economic counselor, talking about the latest IMF forecasts for the world economy. Be sure to visit imf.org where you'll find the full WIO update and lots more.
can also hear more podcasts like this one at soundcloud.com slash IMF dash podcasts. Thank you.